0: Hi, everybody. I'm George, and this is The Best Little Horror House in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And today's guest is a writer, director, and producer for movies like The Midnight Meat Train Dread, and even the movie we talked about just a few episodes ago, Last Shift. Anthony DeBlasi is here. Welcome. Thanks for having me on. Excited to be here today. Uh, We're thrilled to have you on, and... Obviously, as someone who's made a career out of it, horror plays a large role in your life. But I always like to ask, like, how did you get into it in the first place? Was it something you were into as a kid as well?
1: Definitely. It was actually, you know, my father was a huge movie buff growing up. It was one of those, you know, family households that I just watched everything. You know, my parents weren't like, you can't watch rated R movies. <laughs> we, I didn't have any of those restrictions. and Free range. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I mean, what, I remember my dad was renting horror movies. He was a big, like, universal monster buff. But And, you know, you rented, like, Nightmare on Elm Street. I watched that when I was, you know, way too young. Like, when it came sure. out. The day it came out of VHS. <laughs> so, but the thing that I really liked growing up was the special effects. It was the effects of it. It was the, and, and model, you know, model making, miniatures, uh, monster, you know, American Werewolf in London, vampire films. I was just obsessed with the effects. So early on, I was really interested in getting into special makeup effects. And I'm from Boston. And I, I went to Emerson because their program, you know, you would you could finish your your year out, your senior year in Los Angeles in that semester. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. I had planned to finish my senior year the last semester of my senior year in california and then just stay here and that's that's what i did and when i was in film school there when i got here i started looking at effects houses and things like that like optic nerve and but i ended up landing an internship with clive barker wow which quickly (laughs) turned into a job i was just i was thrown into the fire it was the right place Right time back then. And I was just thrown in to the fire with, with Barker's company. I mean, I was only, you know, I was 22 when I got that job. All right. So that was um, a while ago. That's
0: awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I definitely relate to you talking especially about being so interested in the special effects and everything. And I think that that is sort of what got me interested in horror as well. Because when I started out trying to acclimate myself to horror, I, I was once upon a time a huge coward. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. And, and so I had to like acclimate myself and I did that by basically going through the major tentpole franchises the whole way through. And I started with Friday the 13th and you know when you have something as impressive as Tom Savini's work, yeah. You know, just it, as your introduction kind of when you're like really trying to to be like, okay, let me um, analyze what I'm looking at instead of just being, instead of just rejecting it because I'm like, oh, I'm going to be scared. And it's so fascinating. That is where the thrill of horror lies is in the special effects Um, because that's how you create the bodies and that's how you create the killers and that's how you create the monsters and everything. And that is so integral to what makes horror different than all of the other genres, yeah, um, except for maybe some sci-fi stuff as well. But you know, tw- they're cousins, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I've even I've been watching a lot of um, the Gamera movies lately because that Arrow Video collection just came out, and like I realized that part of why I watch and love like kaiju movies like that and Godzilla movies is because I love looking for the seams and being like, oh, I can tell that this is where they switched to the miniatures. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And and here's uh, where they have like the green screen. You can kind of see the edges of it a little bit. And that it's not a detriment to be able to see the physicality of it. I don't think in, no. in movies like that. I, I
1: I did the same thing. I got that you're talking about the like the big book edition, right, of the, the right. Godzilla, yeah, which is amazing. Like yes, my wife got it for me not too long ago, and I was doing the same thing. I was watching all of them, and they're they're literally all on HBO Max right now. But but whatever, this booklet is <laughs> is the Blu-rays are way better. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're dope but that's what i mean those movies i mean that's the thing i just love that side of it you don't get that right you don't get that in comedies and dramas and you get so horror is this weird thing and i think like genre films it encapsulates so much about i think what we love from movie making and that's why like making horror is so much fun Mm -hmm. because it it's because there's drama there's comedy there's gore and effects there's Pushing actors to their limits, both physically and emotionally. There's so much that it covers under one thing, and I, there's like no other genre that does that.
0: No, definitely not. I'm curious about your favorite subgenres, in ter- like within horror, and also if it's different for creating versus watching. Like if you're like, oh, I love watching slashers, but there's something about scaring people with a ghost.
1: <laughs> you know that that's funny because I'm like, I'm one of these filmmakers who does not make the movies I loved growing up. And I think that's something I want to change. Like, I think, like, I'd like to... I think Last Shift is probably one of the closest things, but, you know, the movies I loved growing up were Predator, which we're going to talk about, RoboCop. Hell yeah. You know, American Werewolves in in London, Lost Boys, Fright Night. I'd say they're very effects heavy movies and they're very stylized pictures and then the movies i like to make usually are very dark dramas psychological horror like clive barker's dread is a very dark film the movie i just did extremity is a very dark film and they're not for everybody i mean you know people watch those movies and like why did i watch that like i don't feel (laughs) good coming out the other side of it I really like to 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 make movies like that. I, I want people leaving the theater feeling like they got like hit in the face with a shovel. <laughs> you know, I enjoy making movies like that. You know, but then when we made Last Shift, it was much more of a concerted effort to say, I want to make more of an effects heavy movie. I want to scare the shit out of people. I want to keep it moving, and I you know I want it to be like one of those carnival horror rides where you like get in the get in the <laughs> cart and just you, you're you going down this Tracked shaky in. track yeah like you're like this is like the brockton fair could i die on this thing <laughs> you know that's where i had the the fair every year was in brockton you know those carnival fairs that like the rides kill people all the time
0: yeah that's the fun of it right it's the that's the the risk is what makes it exciting and i i think that that's really interesting about not only from a creator standpoint but also the way that fans react to movies that are that psychological versus thrill ride sort of thing where yeah. it tends to get the the psychological ones tend to get put on a little bit more of a pedestal and spoken in, in more like reverential tones but they don't necessarily get the rewatchability that yeah. the th- that the thrill ride ones have you know i mean i Absolutely adored Villeneuve's *Prisoners*, but I saw oh, that yeah. one time, and I am never fucking watching too. that
1: movie again. Me too. I'm always like, I gotta watch that movie again because I, I loved it when I saw it, but I've only watched it that one time, and I love him as a filmmaker. Yeah. But yet that movie, I'm like, I gotta watch that again. But it's not like it's not sitting it's on my rainer. shelf.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you gotta you gotta set aside a day where you're like, I'm okay getting nothing done for the rest of this.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> And movies are interesting like that because it's like we have our favorite movies that we watch over and over again. And then but then we have our movies that may actually be our favorite movies that you watch once, you know,
0: <laughs> you know, some people. I think it's it's really cool that you're you're able to do both, not only going forward, but just in already the body of work that you've established the way that you are able to kind of jump back and forth, I think, speaks to the way that you've sort of absorbed so much. Of what's already going on, um, and what in sort of having those influences. So, uh, good job. <laughs> well, well, thank you, thank you. Um, but as you alluded to, the movie we're talking about today is a true classic, a jungle-based slasher with a high beefcake body count. 1987's Predator. Wow, what <laughs> what a friggin' picture, guys. <laughs> I mean, I this is definitely one of those movies where I come back to time and time again. It is a thrill ride, and something that I was really paying attention to this like watch through is how incredible the pacing of this movie is. I mean, the first 10 minutes that like the introduction, it might not, this might not just be the best horror movie ever made. That might be like the strongest 10 minute introduction of maybe any movie. It's so impressive the way that they dole it out. But before we get to that, the movie was directed by John McTiernan and written by Jim and John Thomas, and this movie has just an absolutely stacked cast. Carl Weathers as Dylan, Bill Duke as Mac, uh, Jesse Ventura as Blaine, uh, Sonny Landham as Billy, Shane Black as Hawkins, and of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger as Dutch. And I mean, this cast is just outrageous.
1: <laughs> it's they're, like you said, it's just beefcake all around. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, I mean, pound for pound, this is this was the height of, <laughs> of uh, bodybuilding in terms of actors at the time. And it's so funny. I mean, the original, this is a well-known anecdote, but the original concept of Predator was someone was just joking around and was like, oh, the only person Rocky has to fight still is uh, E.T., the extraterrestrial. <laughs> yeah. Which is, I mean, first of all, I would watch that movie.
1: I mean, I, yeah, I, I think there's still time for Stallone to make that <laughs> movie.
0: <laughs> Come on. He was just talking about cutting out the happy birthday polyphony. The
1: robot, I just read that. Yeah. Like, who knew we we're getting a director's cut of Rocky IV? You know, it kind <laughs> well, of makes sense to me because I think after the Creed movies, I think he retroactively wants to make Rocky Four more of like Rocky I.
0: Right. He wants to make it serious. And I'm here to tell you, Sly. <laughs> That's a mistake. <laughs> That's a mistake, man. I love that robot. I think that he's a he's a fun part. I think that if he does do this director's cut, that it's only fair for them to go in like Star Wars and redo Rocky Four with every character being played by the Happy Birthday Polly robot. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. <laughs>
1: All right, well, um, but back to Predator.
0: Right. One thing led to another with this joke and bingo, bango, bongo. You've got your muscle man fighting an alien script. Shane Black, who, like we said, is in the cast, was actually intended to do rewrites. But according to producer John Davis, uh, Shane was like, hey, that's not what I was hired for. Fuck you. Pay me. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the
1: story. If you watch, I mean, that the Blu-ray and the special edition DVD, if you watch all, it has a great tons of making up stuff on it. Um they get into all that, how they were like, hey, rewrite this. Like, they tricked him into rewriting the movie. <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, he, I, I got this quote where um, the producer, John Davis, said, uh, Shane was a really great writer who had just written this great script called Lethal Weapon, and we wanted him to do a rewrite on the script, so we put him in the movie because he's an actor. And we get him down there, and we ask him to do a rewrite, and he said, I'm an actor in the movie, not a writer, and so he was the first person we killed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you gotta do it. Just get rid of them. Yeah. Say, well, you're not gonna, not gonna do this. Then uh, what do we need you for? Yeah, um, you don't want to go home now. Why don't you stay in? Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, and they made this movie on a budget of 15 million. It's a classic example of a summer blockbuster. Opened in the middle of July, made 12 million back opening weekend, and then just continued to do well, uh, getting to a worldwide gross of just under 100 million, with 60 of that coming from the U.S. So. It did pretty pretty damn well. But this is in spite of the mixed to negative reaction that it got, um, with a lot of critics saying that it was out der- outdated and derivative, which is just wild to me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> See, it's always hard to, to put yourself back in the moment because, you know, I was – I don't know. What year did this come out? It was –
0: 87.
1: 87. So I, I don't think – and I saw a lot of movies in the theater when I was young, but I do not think I saw Predator in the theater. And I remember watching it all the time as a kid. I think the first time I saw it was on VHS. And I, it's hard to like put yourself in the mindset of like what the atmosphere was like the year it came out and like why how is this what is this derivative of? You know, <laughs> I'm like I don't know. Yeah. And, and with a mo- like with a creature that they have yet to duplicate you know even in the even in all the newer predator films he has
0: never looked as good as he did in those first two films right it's incredible i mean not the makeup and effects are all incredible i don't know what they're talking about with outdated but not only is it not derivative i think that it functions incredibly well as a slasher but even subverts that because it first of all takes place primarily in the day and Two, it has the the victims are way more capable of defense than your typical camp counselors or whatever, but they still find themselves wholly unprepared, and so it's I think a really unique setup for this slasher movie that uh, we're undertaking here, and it's uh, you know listen, it's sometimes it's hard to set aside how, how the critics sometimes treat genre movies, but you know i sometimes i get it wrong and i think that this is one of those cases because uh it's just uh, i think it's ahead of its time in in fact
1: <laughs> so. Well, yeah and i mean obviously it between the comics and the films it's created a massive you know franchise right. that that i think will will continue and you know stan linston's legacy is in this one of uh, the best creatures he's
0: ever created and that's saying something and, and that's saying <laughs> something
1: but yeah it is it it is it's this amazing you know sci-fi horror drama slasher movie uh you know a a almost completely male cast of these larger than life men which is Mm -hmm. also something that i think is you can't recreate that you know arnold schwarzenegger and those guys of that like beefcake era they they're like action figures come to life uh in in these movies it's when you watch them you're like arnold schwarzenegger is this like and you know, I would never want to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but I but his body is this like magnificent piece of art in itself. You know, who
0: needs makeup? You know, like, all those literally guys. sculpted. Like that's that's what they're out there doing.
1: It just adds to the entire film and and I think that that era of Arnold movies where he's great in the, you know kind of like The Rock today. There's very few people yeah. that can do comedy <laughs> And action, you know, mm-hmm. it, it perfectly interchangeably. And and Schwarzenegger is one of those people that can do that.
0: Yeah. yeah. While I was all in the Predator mood, I rewatched T2 as well. And I was just like, damn, Arnold is really funny. Like, yeah, <laughs> He has a really great sense of humor. And when he is used correctly, I, I think that, I mean, as we see here, he, he's really fantastic. There's also, I think, a really interesting undercurrent of like sort of satire of traditional action movies in which like normally he who has the most muscle wins the day but in predator traditional masculinity and aggression leads strictly to death to death
1: yep (laughs) yeah
0: and only by like sort of rising above that and using his brain was he able to out hunt the hunter and only the woman and the man who was actively like, we're not here to kill people, survive. All the male bravado of sexual tyrannosaurus and sex jokes at the expense of Shane Black's wife, yep. they, all, they all lead to their demise. And But it, it does have that undertone of like, there's something there for you to consider in terms of what this movie might be trying to say. Well, right, just like any good
1: horror film, it's a cautionary tale. I mean, usually every horror film is about something... Right. And and you got to wonder it's like did they do it on purpose or did it happen accidentally <laughs> and um, you know either way it's still it's still there it's still right. present. And in the storytelling those things sometimes happen naturally. You're like this ultimate hunter alien from the future is going to have this crazy tech. Yet he has this this code. So, you know, by default to to beat him, you know, you can't just run around using these big guns because you're you're totally outgunned on earth so who Absolutely. knows either it happened by accident or it was intentional but it's it's there and yeah. it's definitely you know you see these characters who yeah it is you know arnold and and uh Carillo, who's anna you know they're they're the clever ones who figure
0: it out you know especially mm-hmm.
1: she's like you know almost that shaman character who
0: heeds the warning early on she is the one who sees that uh it's already hurt and and has sort of this information to give them it's it's a very interesting and like you say if it was an accident a happy accident so (laughs) yeah One thing I think is really interesting, and this is, of course, in a lot of the background material as well, is that the original Predator creature was created by Boss Film Studio and was like this weirdly proportioned creature with big yellow eyes and kind of like a dog head, but also, more importantly, was going to be played by Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yep.
1: which I don't know how many people know that, but it's amazing.
0: It is. He was the world karate champion at the time, and so they were like... He'll use his martial arts to make the predator like an agile ninja like hunter. Perfect. This will work great. But didn't consider that he'd be in this weirdly shaped suit and in a dense jungle. And so obviously Van Damme couldn't like do, do karate, karate around. around.
1: <laughs> no. In the, with it, the suit had this crazy long head and it like jiggled around. <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine in an alternate universe if they made that movie.
0: It would have been terrible. I
1: I, I mean, it would have had to. And if you like listen to them talk about when they filmed Predator and how they just landed in the jungles and they literally—it was a war movie. I mean, they're shooting. All these guys are out there shooting war films with, you know, like real vets who are training them, and they're doing, you know, doing guerrilla warfare. And then it's like, where's the suit? Where's the suit? And then, you know, what? On day 30, the suit shows up, and it's like, wait a second. We just spent all this time shooting this movie, and this is the suit? So rightfully so, they shut down production.
0: Yeah, and I mean, on top of that, Van Damme was also constantly complaining about the suit being too hot and not appearing on camera without the suit, where he was like, I want to be the star, not Predator. (laughs) And um, eventually, Van Damme was finally removed from the film. The official reason is that he was too short. At five nine, because yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger and his team were all bodybuilders, and so they are between six two and six five between the whole crew, which and, I can buy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even even Shane Black has that kind of like lanky, skinny guy yeah. vibe. <laughs> like so, he's uh, he's a big fellow too. And Van Dam was replaced by Kevin Peter Hall, who was seven two, so much better in terms of that imposing presence, but. They decided that the suit also need to be redesigned, because even with this more imposing actor, they didn't think that it was enough to get the fear that they were looking for. And so they put out a call for a new alien creature costume, and Rick Baker put in a bid, which I think would have been a really interesting alternate timeline for a Rick Baker predator. Yeah, Um,
1: would have been ape-like. Did he do any designs? I don't think I've ever seen any...
0: I've never seen any drawings or anything. It's possible they're out there, but um, I haven't heard it, just that he put in a bid. But um, as you mentioned, they wound up going with Stan Winston instead, who has made several appearances on the show, most notably, perhaps, for The Thing. And Winston had previously worked with Schwarzenegger as a visual effects artist on The Terminator in 1984, so he was the one who got the job. And... He talks about how he was inspired by a painting of a Rastafarian warrior in the producer's office. And he said, I saw that and I thought it was a great starting concept for the Predator. So I started drawing and redesigning this alien creature with quills in the silhouette that would look like dreadlocks. And first of all, the quills are a hugely distinctive design. I think that it's it's a great decision on his part. But yeah. more, even more iconic for the Predator is the mandibles and its jaw which are super unique, and this came from basically James Cameron himself. They were flying together because of the release of Aliens, which Winston also worked on, and Cameron was like, I always wanted to see a creature with mandibles, and so...
1: There you go. That was all it took. That was all it took. I think it's so interesting because with Predator, and I think why it's so hard to recreate... The predator in these early in, in these films now is because of Kevin Peter Hall. Right, he was that character. You know, just like, like how Karloff is Frankenstein, they they bring such a huge percentage of the monster, and and making that monster feel alive, and not wearing like a padded suit because I, I he's so sleek in that movie. I, I think most of it was very minimal prosthetics on his body. Mainly, you know, everything else. You know, his arms, his hands.
0: Right. Yeah. They basically all of the weight of the costume was in the head. The head. Yeah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> at the end of the redesign, that head because it you have the head, and then you have the helmet, and then you have like the parrot gun, and all of that gear wound up weighing over two hundred pounds. And so, even at seven two, he had to be connected to a bungee rig to make him a little more believable as he's like jumping around. Popping, and yeah. It's it's incredible that he's able to make it feel so realistic while lugging around two hundred pounds worth of uh, makeup and and props and stuff. The movie did get nominated for a visual effects Oscars because, like I said, the effects are rad as hell <laughs> and. It's between stuff as complicated as the invisibility, which we'll talk to when it comes up in the movie, but even just the simplicity of the Predator's glowing blood, like, looks absolutely incredible. It's just glow sticks and KY jelly. Like, yeah. It's, that simplicity is uh, where the beauty is. Now, the real question uh, is,
1: how do they make that stuff in the first place, the glow stick? It has to be toxic, I so. assume. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't
0: seem ideal for ingesting, is what I'll <laughs> say.
1: <saying. laughs> Don't put it in your mouth.
0: I mean, they must make non-toxic ones, but who knows? They have to, right? Because how many kids are just sitting there chewing on them?
1: Break. I don't. I mean, I don't know. I mean, we. It feels. I mean, it's like glass on the inside. It's something, right? You crack it. It glows. You do. It's radioactive. I. I have no. To this day, I I have no idea what that stuff is made out of, or if you can. Listeners,
0: reach out. Tell us what's in a glow stick. Tell us what's in a glow stick.
1: (laughs) It's predator blood. It, I mean, that's there where they know. get it from.
0: <laughs>
1: now it all makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> it all makes sense.
0: Unfortunately, the movie did wind up losing to inner space, though. And it's it's really wild because m- the makeup for the Predator, it was like really challenging to the um, to the Academy in terms of where they wanted to put it in terms of visual effects or costume design. And it wound up being put into this visual effects side but um there was a very similar sort of ma- like old school makeup done for Harry and the Hendersons yeah. b- by Rick Baker which uh, wound up winning the makeup design Oscar so it's, well, you, and know. I, you know
1: I feel which is amazing but I feel Predator was a stronger yeah. more seamless piece of of design I mean it should have just been agree. in both categories You know, the Predator is not CGI. He's not visual effects when he's the predator, only when he's, you know, invisible.
0: Yeah, it's it was tough because I agree. I totally think that he should have been in there as well. But as we've mentioned in a couple of these really great movies that draw out the suspense, the Predator only has eight minutes total of screen time. So they're like, uh, he's invisible for a lot of it. So it's really about that, like bending the space and the, but I agree. It should have been in costume design. Would it be, uh, Harry and, uh, I don't know a mistake in my opinion, but. Mistake,
1: you guys <laughs> fucked up guys.
0: <laughs> what else is new? Am I right? What else is new?
1: <laughs> the makeup effects category. I, I find it to be the most frustrating category at the Academy Awards. And I, Every I think every year on Facebook, I'm like, what the fuck? Like, why? And I, I read into it, I, and I guess they're just... They have, like, a preamble, and they come up with their choices beforehand when they submit. So, I, like, every year there's only, like, three. Or sometimes right. two. You know, it's like... I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, there's so many... So many movies that should be honored at the Academy Awards for for special makeup effects... Yet it's always, I think only one year was there four and it's usually three or less. And it, it's like, I don't know why, who came up with that idea. I think I write about it and, and you could probably come up with the answer of why they do it, but it's a dumb choice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fix it guys. Yeah, really. Miss Academy, the special makeup union. Yeah, Fix that. Add a stunt man category. And, uh, oh, yeah, and, and, and then we can get time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The score was is also fantastic and was composed by Alan Silvestri who you may know from Back to the Future in 1985 um so he was he was hot at the time Predator was his first major action movie although he's gone on to do many more including the score for several Marvel movies The Mummy Returns Contact he's done a lot and I bet that even if you don't know the name out there that you would be like familiar with his style there's a lot of like heavy horns, staccato strings and like timpani rolls to highlight the action. Yeah, so. Yeah. It's great. It it works perfectly here. I think having those horns like it works really well in this movie. The second and, that score starts,
1: I mean it's such yeah. an iconic that <clears throat> you know that da 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 in da- the <clears throat> the rolling timpani, it's it's so iconic, which why I was really happy they brought it back for their for the most kind of recent Predator movies brought the even though he didn't do it, is he still alive? He's still alive, right? I think so. Yeah. Even he didn't do the music, but they recreated it for the the most recent film.
0: Right. I mean, definitely a good idea because so many of these movies are really like put over the edge by their score, and being able to call back to this this particularly good one, I think, is a, is a smart move, especially when you're. You have so much like in terms of that connection to it, because it was written and directed by Shane Black, who is as we said, in this movie, so you know there's there's a lot going on there, and I, I agree that it was a good choice, as you said, this was they were basically filming a war movie, so it's tough filming in the jungle, yeah <laughs> and the cast and crew were dealing with leeches, venomous snakes, stifling humidity and heat, rough terrain. All of the night scenes were filmed during freezing cold temperatures, and Arnold Schwarzenegger was in the back half of the film basically constantly wet in these uh, cold temperatures. And on top of the sort of external forces being a pain in the ass, you know, they're also all dealing with the egos of these larger than life guys. You know, there's a, a famous interview where Car- where Carl Weathers says that the actors would secretly wake up at like 3 a.m. to work out before the day's shooting because they wound up getting up earlier and earlier to like work out in secret. To get their um, pump on. Yeah, <laughs> that way they could act like it was naturally given to them. And it's just like the idea of all of the- these guys like being so macho and big and like jesse was on friggin steroids at the time yeah i'm sure that many of them were as well not just jesse not to call him out like that sorry jesse sorry jesse (laughs) there are a couple things interesting about the predator itself like i said it only has eight minutes of screen time but predator became just like the default name for the species despite not actually being on screen until predator 2 and there's, like, a, a actual name for the species that came out through the extended universe of the comic books and everything, but I just think it's really interesting that even though there is, like, that official name, when movies, like, sort of just become so ubiquitous with something else, like, you have it with Predator, I think more people probably know Xenomorph than Yautja, uh, Yautja or whatever, however you say it. What is that you-
1: what Predator is?
0: Yeah, so that's that's the predator name, and like I think that pe- people probably do know Xenomorph more than that. But I still more time, more often than not, hear people just say like the alien, alien.
1: <laughs> yeah, Xeno- Yeah, so, I, I think there is a huge chunk of people that know Xenomorph. But again, I mean, and again, it's like they are from the movies what they are. It's like who's going around naming these things, right? You know, it's not like <laughs> the aliens are talking to themselves and. Like, I guess in the Predator culture, they would because they're, you know, smarter, way smarter than aliens. Let's not let's not get into this alien
0: versus Predator crap.
1: But, (laughs) you know, um, but yeah, the aliens, they don't refer to themselves as anything.
0: You know, it's incredible that despite so much challenge to make this movie in terms of like just shooting in hell in terms of like the the middle of the jungle and all these snakes and stuff. You have all these egos somehow able to be wrangled into the best horror movie of all time. And it starts off with just this great intro. Like I said, the first 10 minutes are maybe the strongest 10 minutes of any movie for me. But you see, first of all, you see Arnold's name front and center. It's the first thing you see. But then the title appears in this very classy serif font, which is honestly not what I would m- maybe expect from the movie that we're about to see. Yeah. But it's a it's a very nice font. And then you get this great field of stars and you get to just soak that in for a little bit until one of them starts getting bigger and bigger. And you realize it's a ship that flies near Earth and drops something, which, you know, I always love when you get this sort of like star, star field intro i think it's a really great sort of opening shot it's very alien as well but where it really takes off is we get these great helicopter shots where the main cast get introduced As they all hop off this helicopter and they're in the back lighting up a cigar it's the man himself arnold schwarzenegger as spec ops vietnam vet major Allen, dutch schaefer i mean we've already said that these guys are larger than life but like when you see Arnold on the screen, the dude is just charisma. Like he, you can't take your eyes off him when he's on it.
1: Yeah. These guys, I mean, the second they, it's like, you know them the moment they get off the helicopter, right? It's a, they're defined by their characteristics so clearly. Yeah. It, it takes barely any setup to, to know who these guys are. It's just the, the economics of casting and storytelling is at its best in this movie.
0: It it really is. And so Dutch and the rest of his elite mercenary rescue team, which is comprised of Mac, Billy, Blaine, Poncho, and Hawkins, they're in an unnamed country, which we have since found out is Guatemala, because Dutch's former commanding officer, General Phillips, uh, needs their help rescuing a foreign cabinet member and his aides who are being held hostage by insurgents. and. The reason that Dutch has been called in is that his old buddy Dylan, played by Carl Weathers, now in the CIA, recommended him for the job. And this greeting is, like, maybe my favorite sequence ever. (laughs) (laughs) Of all time, and lives in infamy to this day. It does. You got the classic, Dylan, you son of a bitch. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Hand clasp perfectly in frame into the arm wrestling and smack talk. It's just... Like you said, the economy of how this introduction is working out is so impressive. It's so quick. You, you understand the relationship between the two of these guys immediately.
1: Um, They've gotten him pushing too many pencils. <laughs> Can't keep up with, with Schwarzenegger.
0: That's right. He sure can't. But despite Dutch's objections that Dylan can't keep up with them, Dylan is assigned to accompany the team. This is where we get to another absolutely iconic scene. Little Richard's song, Long Tall Sally, is jamming in the helicopter en route to the jungle, and it's just so good. (laughs) Like Jesse Ventura is bopping his head, and he's packing a huge lip, and like everyone is doing their own thing. You get the g- great line this stuff will make you a goddamn sexual Tyrannosaurus, just like me. It's, yeah. it's so good.
1: The addition to like Jesse Ventura and Sonny Landom, they add this just air of authenticity to these characters. You know, because they, they were, I mean, Jesse Ventura is a Navy SEAL. Right. You know, th- these guys were actual badasses. They didn't have to act to be badasses. And he's a good actor. You know, Jesse Ventura in that role and in a couple other roles, you can tell he's not acting. He's just being Jesse Ventura, playing off, you know, and his wrestling years, I think, brought that out of him, just that
0: kind of improv style to just be in the moment. He's learned how to inhabit the character because of his wrestling years. And so being able to kind of I wouldn't necessarily call this like a caricature of him, but it is certainly like a heightened or elevated version of himself that he's able to just bring himself up to 11 that way because of uh, the years that he had actually doing it and also years of fully committing to a character like that. Yeah. I think uh, Carl Weathers is also very good here, where he's sort of having to be the more restrained person. <laughs> yeah. When Jesse spits the dip onto his like boot, and he like lean he leans him forward, and he says, "That's a real nasty habit you got there." <laughs> I'm like, "Damn, Carl, that's some good shit." And uh, like I said, ten minutes and thirty two seconds, their boots on the ground in the jungle. Which like, holy crap, it's so quick, and you you're right in the meat of the movie already. Yeah. Yeah. The team finds the wreckage of a helicopter and three skinned corpses that are identified by Dutch as Green Berets that he knew personally. And even though they're sort of portrayed as like these meatheads, um, the team isn't dumb. They are like... Uh, a well-oiled machine. They know how to do these rescue missions, and so they suspect that there's more going on than they're being told, especially when Billy the Tracker reports on what he's found around this helicopter, and he says it seems like there was no ambush, and whoever did this just vanished. This is when we get our first glimpse of the Predator POV, which there are people out there who say that this is not a horror movie, and to them I say, you're wrong, but utilizing this killer pov is a classic horror staple and the way that they use this and but also like turn it up again to 11 by you know having him be rocking infrared and and thermal vision and stuff it's a really really cool way to change something that we're already familiar with and Sort of using those tropes in a way that is to the movie's benefit because you're like I understand exactly what's happening, but it's still unique.
1: Yeah, you could just pick up this plot and put it on a Halloween, and it's it's really not much different at all. You know, right? They're they're in the jungle in this movie looking for gorillas in. You know, Halloween, they're a day at high school, but the dynamics really aren't that much different.
0: The suburban jungle.
1: <laughs> suburban jungle, at, you know, uh, during Halloween season, it going to a party. Oh, I got to dress this. I mean, it's literally lifting, p- which is almost every slasher movie has. This has the exact slasher movie model. Finding yeah. the dead body in the first act and like, oh, who killed the dead body <laughs> being stalked?
0: You know, right someone can feel that something is amiss. If and something is really amiss, amiss. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I don't know if it, again, I don't know if it was intentional or if it just stuck to a formula. And I think that the the formulas that work really well for, for movies like this just work, you know? I, I yeah. don't know if he was like, you know, I'm going to make a, a stalker movie in the jungle or if
0: I'm going to make just a badass action movie and it happened to be a stalker movie in the jungle. It, it is interesting because it, It doesn't necessarily feel like John McTiernan is not exactly classically known as a horror director, but he is able to so perfectly kind of recreate the beats of one here that I I think it's really impressive and, and speaks to his capabilities as a director. And Dutch's team reaches the enemy camp that they've been hearing so much about. And uh, they see one of the hostages get killed. So they're like, all right, we need to move in right away. Arnold gets to show off a little bit. I think this is a really fun, fun part of the movie where he, uh, he puts an explosive in the back of a truck and then gets to lift the truck up off the stop. Um, So he gets to flex those muscles a little bit and uh, he lets it run down to the base where it explodes. And this, Ensuing firefight is so good. I mean, there's just great stunt work and pyrotechnics and everything happening. I- I'm curious if this is something that like jumps out to you because, as you've said, you've you've done a lot more of these sort of cerebral, psychological horror movies, and so is there? Do, do, are you still like fuck yeah when you see something like this where it's like all? flash and and glitz and glamour and stuff of course
1: yeah i mean of course like (laughs) (laughs) you know and i mean and that's what's interesting is is that mctiernan he treats every element of this movie in a very specific way it's like he never throws any anything away you know every sequence be it the character development in the first 10 minutes this action sequence at the beginning, it could be a prime action sequence in a different Schwarzenegger you know action film in any action movie, it like every element it is doing its best thing. Yeah. it has all these beats that are just badass and almost and probably the most famous line of the movie is in this sequence. Now, well let's say maybe the second most famous line
0: that's it's high praise because there are a lot of really iconic uh one-liners in this not only from arnie but l- like we said ventura has that wrestling charisma and he gets to really flex it here with some great one-liners like son of a bitch is du-. let me actually put on my ventura voice son, son of a, a bitch is stuck in, in there like an alabama tick, and, and i
1: ain't got, got time, time to bleed, to bleed amazing that's amazing yeah the the i ain't got time to bleed it's just one of those um, to me i think the second i think get to the chopper you know is probably the most iconic line from this movie but that's like a throwaway line people like to say it because it's schwarzenegger saying it like jesse i mean it does this whole movie has so many good one-liners and actually good one-liners not like the cheesy one-liners that came out (laughs) of so many comparable action films at the
0: time Right. But I ain't got yeah, time I mean, to believe you. compare just... this to like the Ice to Meet You and stuff. Yeah, like Ice to Meet You. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which is not to say that goofy puns like Ice to Meet You don't have their place, but I think that in this movie, they're, like you say, they're kind of utilizing all facets at the height of their capabilities. And so all of these punchy one-liners in here instead of making us laugh at like how silly it is we're like oh jesse ventura is fucking cool as hell yeah yeah exactly dutch gets pissed about what happened here and he confronts dylan and so dylan admits that the mission was a setup to get intelligence gathered by the captured operatives who had reported an upcoming invasion and that the dead military unit from before had disappeared weeks earlier in a, a initial failed rescue I think that it's really interesting the way that this is foreshadowed earlier where Arnold Schwarzenegger is like, oh, we turned down the mission in Albania or whatever because we're we're a rescue team, not assassins. And that's exactly what the CIA is using him here for. Yeah. So uh, it does really a, a great job of splitting that trust that had been built before that we were like, oh... They're on the same level here. It it does a great sort of divide between them, which we see fester as Dylan refuses to accept what's happening. Yeah, They capture the only surviving gorilla named Anna, and they proceed to the extraction point with the predator still stalking them. And I really love that. This is also like kind of foreshadowing, but uh, it's also kind of just like. Hey, here's some cool stuff uh the scorpion (laughs) silently perched on dylan's back ready to strike at any moment i I think that it's it's really cool it's a great scene especially because they're all on edge in terms of like not trusting dylan especially right now this is the the turning point and when you see bill dukes stab this scorpion like he thinks that he's gonna kill him (laughs) yep yeah i bleed you yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's great. Bill Duke's in this movie is really great. I'm curious which one, which non-Schwarzenegger member of the rescue team is your personal favorite? Uh Jesse Ventura. Yeah, I'm 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 really close between him and billy i really like billy as sort of this person who's in touch with the jungle and uh is like the tracker and everything i I think it's fun i think he does a good job with it but yeah jesse he really just gets to chew it up and (laughs) have a good time so uh you know i I think i think i might be with you on that one
1: and and i mean he's got the minigun you know he's he's got the the, the...
0: (laughs) very true very true This moment with the scorpion also leads to a cool reveal with the predator. Again, they're sort of parsing out this information in a really great trail here, um, because while he's practicing his mimicry, which we learn is a skill that they possess, he reaches down to grab it, and you finally see the claw that he has. So we're getting little glimpses of him, and it's what makes it so effective. You're like, oh, I'm dying to see this guy in his glory, but they, they do a great job of leading you on.
1: Well, this, I mean, this movie, I, I don't know if any movie can compare to what this movie does with restraint. This movie yeah. shows incredible restraint, timing, and perseverance of escalation. And, and with every scene doling out, because there's, you know, there's monster movies where you just get pissed that they're not showing the monster. You're like, just show the damn monster. Like, I just right. want to see the monster. <laughs> you know, and and I guess that's that's not... A byproduct of me just wanting to see the monster. It's a byproduct of the other storytelling going on, and it's, you know, with Predator, you're never like that. You're ne- there's so. I mean, each of these guys, all um, you know, with when you have Schwarzenegger, Carl Weathers, Jesse Ventura, Sonny, these guys, Bill Duke, within themselves, are just as interesting as the makeup design on the Predator. Right. You know, yeah, and you're engaged. You're engaged and. During every action sequence you're engaged during every you know like you say the predator is only in the the movie for eight minutes that's crazy I and mean, you don't even think about that I don't think I don't think I ever heard that before eight minutes with the actual predator
0: is nothing right right it's it's really wild and that that level of restraint is incredibly impressive because it's so easy. For somewhere down the line for like a producer or something to be like, uh, we need to have some inserts of him earlier so that people get a little bit of that payoff there. So it's honestly almost as impressive that they that like it made it all the way <laughs> to to being out with that restraint in place. So well, and you're uh, so, not to jump ahead, but you're so
1: satisfied when you get to that fight with with the Predator and Schwarzenegger, this hand to mm. hand fight, you're so satisfied by the journey That when he takes off the mask, you're like, what? (laughs) I don't (laughs) I can't fathom what's about to happen. You know, it's like it really does. And they they make a meal out of it. Because already you're like, how could I get more? How could there be more?
0: It's funny because I remember the first time I saw this movie. It just, even though he had like the different vision I was. It just didn't even occur to me that it was a mask. And yeah, so, you don't even think about it.
1: <laughs> like, you really don't. Cause you're so, I guess, again, because you're so satisfied by that point that you're like, yeah, this movie could end right now, and I'm good to go. Like, I don't need, you know, he stabs him with a knife, movie's over, love it. And <laughs> <laughs> but it's that they never break their rules. Vis, you know, like POV vision, POV vision with the scorpion in the hand. The invisibility oh I see And then a little invis- bit of the blood a little yeah. bit of the blood the invisibility flickers. you almost see a shape of him. it's like it's constant oh, and it's all going in the same direction. Yeah. just this uh, escalation to that final moment
0: where he when he takes off his mask yeah it, it's perfectly paced out, I think and uh, w- like we said, it, we do get these effects uh, or these these moments relatively frequently because Anna escapes. She's chased by Hawkins, but they're ambushed by the creature. And to this day, I mean, I I can't say how many times I've seen this movie now. It's probably somewhere between 10, 15, 20, somewhere in there. But it still gives me a thrill to see him jump out from the jungle and get Hawkins. Yeah. (laughs) When we get to see him in action for the first time, even though you don't even see him. He's invisible. Yeah. It's just so great. It really makes me feel like a kid to watch that scene.
1: Yeah. And it is, I mean, it is like she describes. I mean, they did that
0: very well. Like the jungle came to life and took him away. Yeah. The invisibility cloaking effect. I want to talk about this because it's, it's kind of funny where normally people wear like those bright green suits because that's ty- typically the color that sticks out the most in a setting, especially on a set. But because they're in the jungle, they just had him in a bright red suit because that was the farthest opposite of green. And they were going to um, remove it with the chroma key techniques and leave this empty area. But they wound up having to, what, like in order to get this effect, repeating the take without the actors, using a 30% wider lens on the camera. And so when they combine the two takes, the jungle from the second take fills in that chroma key area. And because it was filmed with a wider lens, the sort of outline of the alien... Would be seen on the background scenery, sort of bending around the shape. And this is what I'm saying. Like, for them to say that it's outdated or derivative, like, just because they're using these, like, chroma key techniques that are familiar, what they're doing with it is so incredible and impressive.
1: Yeah, I mean, this, this, I mean, Predator, the first Predator, the effects in the first Predator, it's, it's, it's like Jurassic Park. But even Jurassic Park, it, like, now you watch Jurassic Park and you're like, okay. There's some, maybe there's some things I can see being dated. When you watch Predator, there's really not anything in it that you're like, oh, that looks dated or horrible. It's all very specific for what it was meant to do, and it still does the same thing. When you watch these newer movies, I don't think their invisibility cloaking looks any better or different from the original movie.
0: Yeah, It's just they do it probably much cheaper now. (laughs) Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, who even knows? But one thing that I thought was really funny when I was doing this research was that they tried to get like a really great shot of the predator swinging from tree to tree while he was invisible. And so they got a monkey and they put it in a red special effects suit. And they were like, all right, go. go!" But the monkey just kept tearing the suit off. And so eventually they were like, this is not worth what we're gonna get out of it. This is not so gonna happen. Yeah. But uh, somewhere out there, there's a monkey who can tell his monkey buddies who was – he was in Predator, which is uh, pretty cool, I yeah. think.
1: <laughs> so. It's pretty cool yeah. tell his grandkids.
0: Um, as we talked about this code that the Predator has, we kind of alluded to it earlier, the Predator spares Anna and drags Hawkins' body away. And we don't know the code at the time, which is that he is very much like a hunter and he's looking for a challenge. And so he's not just going to kill people for the sake of killing them. But everyone is baffled. They don't understand what happened. She's clearly so scared. They're like, why didn't she run away? And and she says, yeah, the jungle came to life and took him. The fear is palpable in that moment. And she does such a great job of communicating that and getting those sort of character points about the predator in that moment, as well, just from this great acting and, and what's left of the scenario, I think is is really impressive. Yeah, Dutch organizes a search for Hawkins' body during which the creature kills Blaine with its plasma weapon. So before before the death, though, they're like I said, they're all freaked out, and so they're looking around, and and there's a little bit of a flash, and Blaine calls everyone over, and he ha- like you said has the mini gun, and the, all of the crew just light up this field. It is, uh, it, I mean, Jesse Ventura described shooting the minigun as like shooting a chainsaw. Yeah. And th- when they are left with the the clearing, you know, it looks like they took a chainsaw to it. Yeah. It, this ineffectual lashing out, I think, is part of that like machismo that we were talking about earlier, where. They are just shooting into the jungle. They have they they can't see what they're shooting at. They're unloading their full ammo clips and everything. It's um,
1: I mean that it's, has it's to really be what well, at scene. least a thirty second sequence
0: of them yeah. just plowing into the jungle. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, I think it's really interesting to see that like you see the destruction, but. Mac is like holding down the trigger after he's out of ammo. Oh, that's right. No, Blaine actually did die because uh, yeah. Mac has. The- <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Blaine gets killed. He, he he gets shot with the plasma weapon, and uh, this is when we get Mac sees it he sees the yellow eyes flash flash yep and and this is when they he calls them over and they all start shooting but mac the he's holding down the trigger long after he's out of ammo and it's just spinning and spinning and spinning and you see how scared these guys are and considering the bluster that was at the beginning of the movie and how well prepared they are as these you know ex military special operatives and everything The fact that they're so scared does a really good job of making us be like, oh, maybe I should be scared, too, of what this guy can do.
1: Yeah, and and Bill Duke, I mean, being the probably most accomplished actor in the cast, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he holds the weight of all the dramatic scenes. (laughs) An unlikely companion of Jesse Ventura, you know, being like these buddies their entire you know military careers. He sells all that stuff so well. So I have a couple anecdotes here about... Blaine's death, Jesse Ventura, when he gets... And, and this, I think, takes me to, again, why this movie continues to be one of my favorites in it coming down to the violence and effects in this film. I'm just always... It's this larger-than-life violence in these movies. And there's not, like, tons of scenes. Not like Robocop, which is, a you know, an extremely violent movie, especially
0: the director's cut.
1: And they don't make movies, I think, like that anymore.
0: Yeah, that's also sort of like serving a different purpose because of its satirical nature and everything, too. So, there's there's a lot going on with (laughs) Robocop.
1: Yeah. And this, you know, this movie, The Violence, when when Blaine gets blasted through the chest and it's just this eruption of, you know, milky blood almost, it has this consistency. And there's two things that are interesting. And I, I don't know if you know this. So, when. And this is like always when people debate what's going on in this sequence. So when Jesse Ventura gets killed, he thinks there's something in the jungle and he sees like a muskrat or something. Right. I think it's a a tree porcupine, I read. A tree porcupine. (laughs) So they swing back to him and it's his close-up and he's kind of looking almost a bit dazed off into the horizon. And there's a splash of blood that hits him in the face. And then you see from the tree the plasma cannon shoots and it blows out his chest from behind. So nobody knows, like everyone, if you look on like boards and stuff, they're like, what the hell happened? Like, <laughs> what is that? Or like, what is going on? Why is he getting hit with a splash of blood from the front? And a lot of people always debated like, well, maybe the predator killed that tree porcupine. But so what happened is due to the the nature of the other suit, that monster had a chain weapon that he would launch. Like, do you know about the chain weapon? The original suit we talked about, that horrible suit that you can see if you watch all the behind the scenes stuff or or look up. So I guess that original creature had this chain weapon that he would launch a spike on a chain, very similar to Scorpion in Mortal Kombat. Probably exactly like Scorpion in Mortal Kombat. So he had that weapon. So apparently what that sequence was meant to be planning was that was supposed to happen in this scene, that he was supposed to launch this chain, and it was meant to either hit the the porcupine or strike Ventura in a way that got blood on his front. But it was all tied to that original sequence, which had nothing to do with what actually ended up in the film. So it becomes I, just a kind of confusing moment of like, what the hell just happened? Why is, where's this blood coming from? But I guess it was planned for the original
0: effects that came into play when they were shooting and they just left it in. I think that's really interesting because I also have heard this moment debated a bunch and the most, the closest I ever came to finding an answer acceptable, hitherto this moment, was that it was like one of his spear guns, like, cause they have like the, the spears that they can shoot out. That he like, he like just clipped Jesse. And so he was like, shit, I missed. Time to open up with this plasma gun. But that never really satisfied me because it was like, well, he's supposed to be this incredible hunter and, you know, there was just, it didn't quite sit right. And so that's really interesting to hear that it is tied to the original sequence. And, you know, we mentioned how they had to go back and and reshoot some of these. I think that that's that's really interesting to hear that there is sort of an explanation for why that is.
1: And the other thing about Jesse Ventura, so, you know, after they shoot the jungle and Carl Weathers goes to to the body and he's he's talking to Schwarzenegger, he turns over Jesse Ventura's body. Now, when I got the special edition DVD that came out a lot of years ago, but that was the first version that had all this making of stuff on it, which was great. It was like, oh my God, Predator special edition had all this amazing stuff on it that I had never seen. And I think this was like, what, 2003, 2004, when that special edition stuff was really popular. You know, right. which I miss. I miss the, the new new releases tend to have like, oh, we have a couple EPK stuff, but not not like they used to back
0: then. Hey, if it doesn't have a commentary track, I am buying the, the physical copy. Don't buy. Luckily, they still
1: do a lot of the com- I think commentaries are still pretty common.
0: Uh, they're they're getting less and less, less and less. My right. Disappointment.
1: <laughs> I mean, the digital era, they're like, ah, we don't need to spend the money on all this stuff. But yeah. anyway, so he turns over the body. And I'm watching the DVD, and I'm like, what the fuck? The body's clipped. Like, the body fell out of frame. And it was just... Carl Weathers turns his body to look at the wound, and you're literally only seeing just a fraction of the wound and his arm. And I'm I'm losing my mind, because I'm like, (laughs) in my memory... This is a full body shot. Like in my memory, I can distinctly remember because it was one of those moments on on the VHS and like as a kid that I'm like, I got to see this wound. Yeah, it's gruesome. Of this gruesome wound of the, and you could see it in in a lot of ways. It's not, it's very leathery on the inside and you can see that it's not a hole. The hole does not pass through. But it had these great layers of the wound, you know, all the way inside the cavity. Yeah. Well, on the so on the DVD and on the Blu-ray now, it doesn't have it. It's clipped. Wow, you can't see the full. And w- what version did you watch most recently? Was it the Blu-ray? Yeah. Yeah. So okay. So I don't know. So in my head, I'm like, did I make this up? Am I crazy? <laughs> And, you know, I remember when I watched the Blu-ray, I did research and I was like, you know, how how do I research this in an effective way? Full frame version, Jesse Ventura, and nothing came up. And then I watched it again in, you know, preparation for this, and I did a search again. And finally, finally I find, I find a whole message board dedicated to, so Predator, there is a full frame version of Predator, That, you know, this movie was shot 35 millimeter, a 1990, a 1987 full frame version of this movie
0: exists. And it was must have been the version that was on VHS. Sure. Because at the time it was it was a different aspect ratio. Yeah. It was uh, very popular. Wow.
1: So you can Ah. actually get. So if you do the search and I'll send you the link, you can see the full frame. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm not crazy. Here it is. Here's the full frame (laughs) version. Indication (laughs) of this movie and exactly what you would think. You're losing a huge portion on the top and bottom of the frame. Wow. And that must have been the version I watched on VHS. And there's actually, I guess, this whole message board is designated to these Super 8 prints. That were printed open mask of the 35 millimeter negative, and they're in, wow. they're very rare. But I guess you can get them and watch the you know with the the one eight five to one mask. On the projector gate, you can watch these Super Eight prints of the full frame version of the thirty five millimeter, and it's. I'm like, yeah, all right, wow. finally vindication. I am not crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's gotta be. That's gotta feel great.
1: It feels great. I'm not crazy. It <laughs> existed because I saw a. St- I, I found a still of it exactly the image I had imagined. I was like,
0: right, that's it. That's the wound, you know. And yeah, side that's note, a, anecdotal that's side note. On top of all of that, it, you know, Blaine is also the most aggressive of the crew and the fact that he kind of goes down without a fight really again it sort of talks like it ties into that sort of like traditional masculinity is not the answer here
1: but granted so, predator kind of bitched out and shot him in the back
0: yeah right, come on come on pretty come on pretty <laughs> that's a little you know i'm always disappointed that jesse ventura gets killed so early into it, but also I'm like, all right, it, it all works perfectly together, but I still also wish that he could have been in it longer.
1: No, I know it's true, and, but it, you know, it's this, it's this double-edged sword. Cause you wonder if maybe that was just enough Jesse Ventura. Like it was right. the perfect <laughs> amount of Jesse Ventura. Yeah.
0: <laughs> we got the mind. We got the body, yeah. Jesse Ventura. <laughs> and we also do see that the creature did get clipped, And it reveals this luminescent green blood, but only Anna sees it, which is a cool move, a cool creative choice. And the unit regroups, but the extraction chopper says that they're still too far and they're too close to the border. And they talk about what's stalking them. And Dylan thinks it's just gorillas. Like I said, this is sort of where this divide comes into play. But Billy, stoic as always, is firm that it's not human. And it sort of like chills the group. Which I think is, is another really great scene, and they make camp for the night with traps all over. They say if anything approaches, they're not going to get close. But that night, when the traps are set off, it turns out it was a wild pig, a huge wild pig, and Mac kills it. But they just absolutely massacre this poor, poor pig. <laughs> and I will again anecdotal. I will say the
1: blu-ray edition of this movie and and the blu-ray got a lot of complaints because they do smooth out a lot especially in that first 10 minutes some of those scenes are very smoothed out but it was the first time i had ever seen these night scenes yeah because in the in the even the dvd and the vhs they are literally pitch black it's like all you can see is bill duke's eyes in those sequences, you can see n- almost nothing of what's going on. I'm sure the 35 print was different in the theater; you could probably see it quite well. But the
0: the transfers of that scene until this Blu-ray it was like another world. It was like, oh my god, I can see everything. <laughs> it's also kind of interesting the way, though, that even that version of it still works as its own thing. Of like having it be that pitch black, like yeah. in the middle of the night, Bill Duke's eyes being the only thing like sticking out. It does work. I definitely like being able to see what's happening, but. That confusion and uh, and everything is really communicated with the darkness. With the
1: darkness and like the splash of blood and Bill Duke's the whites of his eyes. It's in. Yeah. It, it's almost a testament, really. Not so much of the effectiveness of the scene because it does it does work very well. It's almost a testament to like what they can pull out of these prints in these yeah. these, these transfers. Uh, you know, it's like wow, who knew there was so much information there?
0: Yeah. While everyone is dealing with this pig, the creature swoops in, the creature I say, it's the predator, they don't know that, but we know it's the predator, uh, it swoops in, it steals Blaine's body, and Dutch realizes that the enemy is using the trees, and so their traps are bullshit, basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Dutch, this is the first moment that Dutch treats Anna like a human, instead of just this, like, captured person, This the, and... And she. this is when she reveals that, A, she both speaks English, <laughs> and B, uh, the predator was hurt. And this is where we get another great line. I think for my money, this is probably my favorite one-liner, where he says, if it bleeds, we can kill it. If
1: it bleeds, we can um, kill it. I forgot about that one. And of course, na- yes, God, there's there's really is a lot.
0: It's a, a cornucopia of incredible one-liners. <laughs>
1: If it bleeds, I, I guarantee you, if it bleeds, we can kill it is one of those lines that most people know and don't know where it came from, right? Yeah. Like in the oeuvre, it's kind of like the line, be
0: afraid, be very afraid. Yeah, honestly, I would say even Get to the Chopper, like, you know, that could, it could have slotted into so many, so of, many. The, of the Schwarzenegger movies. Yeah, yeah. so it is interesting, and I think that it's, uh, they're all great, but yeah, if it bleeds, we can kill it. I friggin' love And a second attempt to get the Predator, uh, using a net this time, succeeds, but it, like, quickly gets out. And Poncho gets hurt because the counterweight log from the net smashes into him and, like, breaks his ribs and stuff. And Mac and Dylan chase after it because they're real riled up at this point. Like you said, uh, Mac and... Blaine, Jesse Ventura's characters, were really good friends. They had survived like a, a really a bloodbath, he talks about, where they were the only two left standing afterward. And the scene where Mac points out the Predator, the invisible predator to Dylan, yeah, gives me chills. Yeah. <laughs> like Bill Duke is so, so good in this movie, and this scene really encapsulates it.
1: Yeah. And a, another hire from Schwarzenegger. <clears throat> He was another yeah. one that was. I mean, Schwarzenegger is a very smart storyteller, and he. I think because he's so do what I say, you know, he was like at the top of his career then, right? He he had so much influence on Predator, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, he was the one who suggested Jesse Ventura. He was the one who suggested Carl Weathers. He was the one who got Bill Duke in there. You know, it's when sometimes having a singular creative presence can be a huge boon to a movie, and this is, I think, one of those cases. Unfortunately, the alien outmaneuvers Mac and Dylan, and it kills them in this amazing, amazing scene where it fires a big old plasma bolt at Dylan, and he's screaming, <laughs> but his arm is off and still shooting the gun. It's so good. The creature then catches up with the others, and Billy, we see him getting ready to hold hold him off in like hand-to-hand combat, which, first of all, big ups to Billy for being being willing to hold him off, but... You know, this is the one scene in the movie,
1: I think, that <coughs> bothers me. It, it, like, I, I, I wish he died on screen. The off-camera, you know, it works very well, but yeah. I feel like such an important character, like, someone who was making such a stance, and they make <coughs> such a meal out of this stance, right? Yeah. Him removing his clothes and... And only keeping the blade. It's kind of a letdown when it's just, you know, off-camera scream.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because to me it feels like a failure as an action movie in that sequence. But it feels like a success as a horror movie. True. Where so quickly we hear the scream from off-camera. Yeah. (laughs) Like... The fact that he was like, we're like, all right, this is it. Billy is the one who's been on to him the whole time. He's ready. He's going to face it in hand-to-hand combat. And then on the turn of a dime, he's immediately gone. Uh, Yeah, I agree. It would have been great to see it. And there's a huge part of me that would have loved it. But um, there's also a part of me where it's like, would it have worked as effectively if we took that moment to slow down and see the fight? I don't know. I'm curious
1: if they... And this is, I always wondered, because I feel like that actor would have caused a stink because he had a reputation. Mm-hmm. I feel like he would have been like, I need to have a scene, you know, like how can we not have a big fight scene? And I'm curious if it was written or if it was something that got cut or if it was something that was shot even. I, they don't talk about it. I, at least I don't remember them talking about it in the be- behind the scenes stuff. I don't know if you know this, but Dark Horse Comics is releasing a original Predator comic based on the f- the first script. Wow, no, I didn't know that. And and they did that with Alien 3
0: as well. That I remember.
1: Yeah, so they're doing that, and I think they did it with, they did it with another Alien script, but they're doing it with the original Predator script, the one that was written by the team, and not by, you know, Shane Black getting involved. And I, So I'm wow. curious. Yeah. We'll get to see. That will be really cool to see. Yeah.
0: So, uh, Predator fans out there, keep an eye out. Keep
1: an eye Um, out. I think it's September. It's October, September, October, something like
0: that. Damn, so right around the corner. So, really keep those eyes (laughs) peeled. So, yeah, he kills Billy, and he also manages to take out the wounded poncho. And realizing that the creature doesn't target unarmed prey because there's no sport to it, Dutch sends Anna to the helicopter unarmed with the classic get to the chopper which arnie has said that that is his favorite iconic character line so it has that going for it he um, only had to do it once whereas right. i'll be back he had to do like in every movie <laughs> yeah right plus plus uh get to the chopper was improvised by him he oh, says nice. so uh so i'm sure that that has something to do with it too where he's like yeah that's that's just all arnie baby <laughs> yeah it's, it's all me i love my favorite line <laughs> the predator he gets a hold of dutch and he sends him off this cliff and this is a great great stunt shot although the stunt man did blow out his knee doing it, but <laughs> it looks totally like... worth it hey man you sacrifice for art sometimes That's because it looks fucking amazing the creature jumps in after him and dutch like crawls to this mud covered riverbank and because he's covered in this mud now his thermal signature is reduced and so dutch remains unseen by the predator as it like angrily looks around before moving on and it's this really great moment of triumph for us where we're like there is something that we can do the tables have turned slightly but they have turned it's it's a real moment of triumph yeah the mud that arnie had to wear was actually pottery clay and they said that it lowered his body temperature a few degrees, so on top of it already being cold out, he was even colder than everyone, so... It's actually accurate, though, so that's good to know. Yeah, and he was he was shivering the whole time, and they tried to heat him with these lamps, but it just made the clay dry out, and it looked like crap. So he tried drinking uh, Jaeger tea to <laughs> warm him up, but he just got drunk, so he basically just had to suffer through it. <laughs> just, just Come on, Arnie. I mean, you're huge. Just deal with it. <laughs> and... The Predator is off collecting trophies from the dead mercenaries, which, it, man, it is gruesome in the best way when he rips out the skull with the spine still attached. Like, that's that's iconic Predator right there, and it is so good. The yell of the, the when he screams the Predator. and it, Yeah, it, I mean, they shoot it in this perfect frame rate where it just kind of flicks all this gore everywhere. Yeah, it's it's great. And while he's doing that, Dutch is off crafting uh, some traps and weapons, and he lures the predator to him with a torch and a primal scream. It's sort of interesting that we've seen them both like calling out to each other now. You know, he's sort of reverted into this primal warrior stance that he's that he needs to be in to confront this other warrior. This is how they're going to do it now, and he's meeting him on his level. He disables the creature's cloaking device and causes an explosion that does some minor damage to it while they're, like, in this fight and the, the predator shows up. But there are some really great shots here as well. It's not just, like, a fun mono uh, alien yes. <laughs> fight. You know, the the panning reveal of Dutch clinging to the bottom of the log bridge, the close-up on his eyes when he's covered in mud there. It, it's all so really like, just shot so well. And he eventually falls into the water and loses his mud cover and is pinned by the creature. But because he was willing to face it head on and he got some hits in, the Predator acknowledges him as a worthy foe. And he says, I'm going to fight you on equal equal terms. And this is the moment we were talking about where it discards its mask and its weapons. And I don't know how much more we can say about it because it's just it's just amazing. It's It gives you chills. It's like nice and slow when the like steam hisses out of the two holes on the mask. Like they make a meal out of it, and it's delicious, baby. <laughs> it's delicious, and, and 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 again, the effects hold up perfectly well
1: today. I don't. The animatronic work in his face is is flawless. Mm-hmm. The eyes, which was context, I assume, and then and everything, it just moves like a real creature. It moves flawlessly. It doesn't have any of that like motorized glitchiness right and the character the predator at that point i think when you know when he does that that makes that decision to be like you know what i'm just gonna fight you in a true gladiatorial style it it lends so much to just the mythology of this character of this this franchise like whoa like he's i mean we already know he's smart But where he's willing to be like, you know, you've earned my respect, buddy. Yeah. I'm going to fight you for real now. I'm like, you don't stand a chance against me,
0: but I'm (laughs) going to fight you for real. It changes him from just this. I mean, we've seen him like looking at stuff and, and like doing the imitations and everything. But, you know, a parrot can do imitations. So, you know, it's not really saying that much when we see him. Making a choice like this, it kind of reframes the whole movie in an interesting way. And they they have this hand-to-hand fight. Dutch is almost beaten, but he corners himself behind a trap, which the Predator avoids despite (laughs) Arnold's (laughs) encouragement to kill him, which, you know, another classic Arnie. He says, come on, I'm right here. Kill me, do it. Kill me, do it. (laughs) It's really great. And the Predator circles around and he's ready to kill him. But Arnie kicks the trap, and he crushes the creature under the trap's counterweight, which is, again, sort of a payoff from what happened with Poncho. So it's like you understand why that's on the top of his mind. Great writing there. But as the creature lies dying, it activates a self-destruct device, and it laughs, which this laugh makes me laugh, too, to be yeah, honest. Yeah. <laughs> but it does this, this really funny laugh, and Dutch takes cover just before the device explodes. And he manages to get out of there. He's rescued by Phillips and Anna with a helicopter. Fun fact, Kevin Peter Hall is one of the helicopter rescue crew without his predator makeup and costume as sort of like a thank you for dealing with the jungle in this suit. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, obviously, this could never happen, but I just think it would be funny if he was still like all predatored up. Yeah. He <laughs> was, was like, <laughs> gotcha, <you>, sucker. <laughs> yeah, was, like, it was like,
1: but that mo- moment from
0: Creep Show, right?
1: Where he turns around, like, I want to yeah. see something really scary.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a great, it's a satisfying ending. And uh, now, Anthony, we've reached the point of the podcast where we both say why we think this is not just a great horror movie, but the best horror movie ever made and we kind of put a cap on it so I'll, I'll let you start it off
1: uh you know for me and, and it's because my passion goes back to this is the effects i think the effects just stand the test of time i think they always will i think they made an extremely successful you know people who are looking for that element in their horror movies or monster movies just you couldn't ask for more with the, the violence and the
0: creature effects yeah, I agree. And to me, this is the best horror movie ever made because it it kind of puts me in the mind of the thing. And not just because Stan Winston worked on them both, but in terms of this otherworldly presence sort of being hidden but still managing to take down this this great group of guys who are on various levels of defense – that it's done so well, but unlike in the thing where you have these researchers who are sort of uh, trying to logic it out and everything and and with this, you get that action movie element to it that I think helps to raise it above other horror movies. It's a great action movie and it's a great horror movie. plus on top of that, you get the incredible incredible effects you know, these performances are all spectacular and like I said, this pacing of this movie just blows me away. It's so, so well done. And uh, to me, that's why it is the best horror movie ever made. Anthony, I want to thank you so much for coming on, man. And please tell people where they can find you, what movies they should be checking out, all that good stuff.
1: Well, I mean, you can find me on my Instagram, I guess. I don't know. Social media is not my thing, but I'll do it. <laughs> I think it's Aunt de Blasi. Uh The last film I did was... Uh, extremity which came out about a year ago now and i've just been writing since then i have things on the horizon which is actually an action film oh but we haven't cool. announced it yet so i'm not gonna release the title and well we were <laughs> supposed to shoot it this summer obviously that always <laughs> got, got away, away. <laughs> things, yeah so so hopefully we'll just pick up the reins in the spring you know it's it's kind of like everyone just took a year off but you know <laughs> i've been i've been writing and keeping busy so that's good
0: great well uh, i look forward to seeing that i'm sure it'll be great I'll definitely go check out anthony's previous work we like he's mentioned we talked about last shift on here so the fact that uh, he even has one movie as the best horror movie ever made i think is pretty damn impressive that's so great i appreciate go. it <laughs> so go check that out um as far as my plugs you can find me on twitter at little Horror Phl that username applies pretty much everywhere. Um, it's also the website if you want to go to the website, which has uh, links to merch and the RSS feed and stuff. But uh, most importantly, we just started a Patreon for the show because it turns out that making a show costs money, and so if you want to help, <laughs> that would be awesome. And uh, people can go check that out. There'll be all kinds of great stuff, including earlier versions of episodes bonus episodes commentaries for movies uh, all kinds of good stuff and if you want to have your voice heard on what that bonus content should be get over to patreon.com forward slash little horror phl and also leave a rating and a review i know this is a lot of stuff that i just threw at people but (laughs) i'm writing (laughs) um, this
1: all (laughs) down. (laughs)
0: and out there you should be writing it down too leave us a rating and a review on itunes because it really helps to uh help spread the word about the show uh that is plenty of plugs for me anthony thanks again for coming on and uh have a good one out there bye bye guys